Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. I'm excited this morning. And the reason I'm excited is we're starting a new series uh, on, in the book of Romans. And if you're not familiar with where Romans is, it is uh, one of the books of the New Testament. Uh, it was a letter originally written by a guy called Paul. He was an apostle. And it was written to the church in Rome in the first century. And the reason that I'm excited about this series uh, is that it was something that God led me to because I, th- I believe fundamentally that more than, more than any other piece of, of writing in Scripture, Romans changes people, transforms people. There's something about it that is extraordinary, for the way that it's written, for the, the content that it explores. And so God really took me in my personal devotional time to read at the beginning of this year, read right through Romans and journal every single word of it in some way, to reflect on it deeply. And after doing that, with no intention of preaching it, God said, okay, well now there's some opportunities for you to preach some stuff from it. Here's some things that I've taught you now you're going to teach our gathered community. And so, what we're going to be doing over the next, I'm not quite sure how long, we're going to be preaching through this ancient letter of Romans. But for those of you that call this place home, be encouraged that we're not doing it in one go. And we're not going to do it just today. We're going to be stepping our way through it. We're going to spend a few weeks in it, then do something else for a little while, come back to it. But I do fundamentally believe that as we as a gathered community and those of you joining us online or wherever it is that you pick up with us on this journey, I fundamentally believe that by engaging with Romans, it'll change you. And it's going to change me too. Because within it, we find the most comprehensive explanation of what it is that we are here for. Why all of this is happening. Why we sit here or stand here in a church some 2,000 years after some events of the ancient world, why it matters so much. And I believe, and my trust is that through this time, you will grow to know Jesus more clearly, that you'll understand the gospel more thoroughly, pursue grace more passionately, to feel God's love for you more completely And if I'm honest, to grow to hate sin more thoroughly. Because through this time, through these scriptures, I believe we will experience those things. And I guess my hope is 
that ultimately we'll, we will understand more thoroughly, and I've written this down so I get it right, we'll understand more thoroughly than we ever have before the greatest story of God's purpose for the world. And ultimately, the extraordinary lengths that He has gone to despite the opposition of evil to see that beautiful story come to life. That's what we're going to explore through this time in Romans. And the reason that I say that, that Romans changes people is because it has been changing people for thousands of years. One of the original letters, arguably one of the earliest letters written in the New Testament, but right through the thinkers of, of uh, this, this age, great theologians that we would know, each of them, it's, it seems, many of them encountered Romans quite specifically and something transformed them. One of the great thinkers of the fourth century, St. Augustine, whom we know quite well if you've been a part of church for some time now, St. Augustine of Hippo, encountered, it was his encounter with Romans that transformed him from not living a particularly godly life to being one of the greatest theologians the world has ever known when it comes to thinking of Scripture. Martin Luther, the head of the Reformation, the one that spurred all of that in the 15th, 16th century, he was influenced by it. He didn't know what he was doing in, in many ways, but he, he was sitting under a tree and he, he, he heard some kids playing. And they were playing a, a, a game he wasn't familiar with, but they were singing some songs, a, a song that said, take and read, take and read, take and read. And so he did. And he picked up his scriptures as he had access to them. And he opened to Romans chapter 13 and chapter 14. And within him spurred something extraordinary that ultimately transformed the face of the church, began the Reformation movement. And John Wesley, whom we, within the Methodist tradition that we, have, we are a part of in the broadest sense, John Wesley, the father of the modern Methodist movement, in his journey was, now the, the story is that he was, he was walking down the street and he sort of, in his words, knew God but didn't really know that much about it and wasn't quite sure where he fit with it all. And then he was walking down the street one day and he heard some people having a, like doing a Bible study. And, and they were reading out something, and what they were reading was the preamble, Martin Luther's uh, commentary, the preamble of it, in their Bible study. And he heard what they were sharing, and he heard Martin Luther's thoughts on it, and he, said, it, he writes that his heart was strangely warmed by encountering this extraordinary story, this extraordinary explanation and the narrative of Romans. And I think the reason that this book, this letter, connects with people so significantly is because it answers, and my hope is that throughout our time together, it answers the most fundamental questions that you and I have about human experience. It has answers for them all. The questions that we have, like, is there a God? And if there is, can he be trusted? Can I count on God to be consistent throughout the ages? 
Is He the same God that He was four and a half thousand years ago as He is the God that is sitting here with me in my crisis right now? How is it that my life can be put back together again? How do I become whole? How do I find meaning, purpose, significance in this life? And I wonder, have you ever asked any of those questions in your personal journey? Well, it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not. I believe there's something within us, within our very human DNA, that asks those big questions. Who am I? How did we come to be here? And how do I exist in this world with any level of significance? And the fundamental question that it answers is, how do I be saved? How, do I, how can I be saved from the brokenness of this world? How can I be saved from all that I am struggling with in this life? And so to begin this exploration, I'm going to begin at the beginning. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Glenda's keen. And what I want to do for you is I actually want to read a big chunk of Scripture. We're going to read Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read 18 chapters, no, 18 verses together this morning. And then I want to pick out a couple of things. To, and really, my intention this morning is to set the scene for this whole idea, this whole series. So, Paul writes this. Paul, that's him, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, someone to share the good news that they know about, and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his scriptures so, sorry, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, that's Isaiah, if you want to know more about that, we'll explore that later in the series, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God, in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is who he's talking about. Through Him, he says, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, Gentiles, it's basically anyone that isn't Jewish by heritage, Jewish by birth in some form. And so, we are Gentiles in the broadest sense, but for the church in Rome, Gentiles were people that were Greek, people that were Greek-speaking, people that weren't familiar with or really understood much of anything that had happened up to Jesus. They weren't really familiar with, didn't really have a great deal of respect for the Old Testament, many of them. They didn't really know what it was. But yet they hear this good news of this guy called Jesus who was offered them something extraordinary. And they want to know more about it. And this church starts to form in Rome. And so he says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called by His holy peace, people, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Firstly, I thank you, God. Thank, thank my God 
through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. Now, this church would have been about 20 years old. Much, much younger than ours is. This place has been here for, what, 154 years or something? This church is only 20 years old, yet it's being known across that part of the world. God, whom I serve in in my spirit in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come and see you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you. I planned to get there, but I've been prevented from doing so up until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I've, I've, I've spread the good news elsewhere, and there's been fruit there, and And Paul's trusting that he hasn't been able to get to see this church that he's never been able to visit yet. But he trusts that he can get there. I am obligated, obligated, both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I wonder if they consider themselves the wise or the foolish ones. We always consider ourselves the wise ones, don't we? Who's the foolish in the room? Didn't think so. We're all the wise ones because you're in church. That's what's happening. So I wonder if that's how this was received as well. And we get to the moment where I believe is the explanation of all that Paul plans to do with the rest of this letter. And he writes this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, literally the good news. The word is eangelion in the ancient language because it is, what is it? It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It's the only way you can get it. You can't add anything else to it. It is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so in those last couple of passages, we discover the purpose, what what, what Paul is hoping to communicate in the broadest sense throughout the rest of the letter to the Romans. And I do believe there's some things that we can take away from it today. So what I want to do is I want to give you the big picture, and then I want to ask you a couple of things as to how this fits into your life, personally. So there's three things that Paul wants to do. He wants to, firstly, clarify the gospel. He says there's some important things that you need to be clear about. When you go skydiving... There's some important things you need to know before you jump out of that plane. You need to know how to buckle the parachute on. You need to know where the ripcord is, right? If you don't know where it is, you're in trouble. 
And I'm told it's a whole lot harder, unlike what we see in the movies, for someone to jump out the plane and come and get you. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. I'm never skydiving in my life. It's probably not going to happen. Someone will quote that back to me at some point in my, in my 50s, I suppose, when I decide it's a good, good idea. But there's some things that you need to know among all sorts of professions. You know, like if you're going to be a chef, you need to know how to cut vegetables without cutting your fingers. No one needs extra protein in their salad. Some stuff you need to know. And, and Paul wants to communicate that if you're going to be a church, if you're going to be the gathered people of Jesus declaring the good news, you need to know what it is. It's kind of a prerequisite. You need to know this gospel, this good news, this evangelion. You need to be clear about it. You need to be clear about the things that have happened that are good for you. And that's what this word gospel actually means. Or evangelion, as it is in the ancient language, it is, it's actually a political term. It's a political term that declares something has happened and it's good for you. And it was most often used by the heralds of, of Rome when a new Caesar came in or, or Caesar would, would make a decree or something that would change about the organization of the Roman Empire or even you were just conquered by them. The heralds would come in and say, I have a good news for you. Caesar has done this. He has liberated you. He, we have a new decree, which means you pay more taxes. But it's good for you because X, Y, Z. So this term, good news, is not unusual. In fact, it was very familiar, particularly to citizens in Rome. Yet, Paul wants to be absolutely clear that this good news is different to just another emperor, just another king, just another temporary alleviation of, another policy to be reviewed. He says, no, this gospel is different. And what does he say? It's different because... It is the power. It is the power of God. And I can imagine that some people would be going, well, we've seen power at work before. We've seen kings use power. We've seen kings use power. And I must say, if there's any word that's got more baggage within the context of human existence, I'm not quite sure what it is. Because Every time we hear the word power, we think of something negative for the most part. We think of power, we think of people exercising power, we rarely think of the way people use power for good, although it happens. What do we think of? We think of tyranny, we think of injustice, we think of all the ways that power gets exerted over other people in a negative sort of way. And so, we ask, Paul, so this good news is... That God is going to use His power, that's not news to us. And rarely is it good when that's heralded. And He says, no, no, I'm not done. He says, it is, this good news is the power of God that brings salvation. 
that brings salvation. And the word here, which you're familiar with if you've been in church, but if you haven't been, it's, it's, it's a bit of a different sort of word. But the, the term is actually a medical term. And the term means to be stitched back together, to be made whole again, to be completed. And so Paul says this good news is the power of God to bring about knitting you back together, helping you discover what it means to be whole again in the world. And it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Because he says it, it's for any, everyone who believes. But hang on, hang on, Paul. What if, what, if, um, what if they don't wear the right sort of shoes to church? Or Paul, what if they swear more than I feel comfortable? Paul, what if they've got a criminal record? Paul... What if they smell, and I don't want to sit next to them in church? Paul, what if they make too much noise during worship and you can't quite hear the sermon over there playing? What about them? Everyone. Everyone. Do you know know who that excludes? No one. It's not a trick question. Everyone. He says it's first the Jews, because that's because Jesus was Jewish and, and it was the Jewish nation that was chosen by God. He says, first the Jews, but then the Gentiles, us, you, me. It's not a it's not a a, a comment there of priority, it's a comment of of time. That the Jews were the first ones to hear about it. The first ones to be saved. And it's belief. That belief is not doing anything except having confidence and trust. To everyone who believes. So Paul needs us to understand, if we're going to be the church, we need to understand the gospel. We need to understand that that is what the good news is. Nothing more And nothing less. It's the power of God to put you back together because you're broken and you know it. I'm broken and I know it. There's things about us that don't work the way that we want them to. We're tempted to do things that we know are not good for us. We turn around and we find ourselves in patterns of addiction and pain and frustration. We don't treat our families the way that we want to. We hurt our loved ones. There's something wrong with us. And God says, the good news is that there is the power of God to put you back together the way you were meant to be, and it's open to everybody. How? By getting a C plus by the time you die on the good deeds of life. Because that's what the passing grade is, right? C plus? Well, I got a D plus in high school and I still passed. That was my year 12 grades, but there you go. Even I got a degree, and here we are. No, no, that's not what it is. It, there's, no, there's nothing you can do to earn this. It's a free gift to anyone that believes by faith, by trusting 
in God. So he says that's the first point, to clarify the gospel. But second, he says, he writes this letter to unify the church. So this church has been going for about 20 years. And what happened about, where is it in my notes? So this letter was written about 56 AD. So the church had been going for about, 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 um, about 20 years. And it was made up of Jews and Gentiles. But around, around 40, around four, late 40s AD, there was some infighting in the church, church in Rome. And a whole bunch of things going on. And, and so the emperor expelled all the Jews from Rome. He said, get out. And so they did. And so they're left with this church, which is entirely made up of Gentiles, people that speak Greek. There's no one who's got the, the, the inherited history of the Israelite nation with them. And so shortly after that, in the early 50s, there's a new emperor and a new degree, and the Jews are welcomed back into the church. But do you know what happens when there's a change of management in any organization? Starts to look different. And so as the Jews left, they left it looking a certain way. They left this church looking a certain way. And as they've come back, it looks a little bit strange. It's like kind of me as a pastor leaving this church for five years and then coming back. It's come under new leadership. There's a new pastor here. But I kind of expect it to be the same. But of course, it's not going to be the same because everyone leads a little differently. And that's what they encountered. And so... We discover this, and an infighting begins in the early church. And so, there's a change of flavor, style, rituals, all that sort of stuff. And so, Paul writes this letter to help them rediscover a sense of unity. And now, I've got to tell you, if there's, if there's a relevant element to this for the 21st century church, it's got to be that, right? Because I, I, I do fundamentally believe one of the most damaging things the church can do for the, for the mission of God in the world is to argue with one another, is to not get on with one another. It's to disagree and not have grace and love for the other to hold a different opinion around tradition, particularly, stuff like that. If we can't sort that stuff out, we are doing more damage than any sort of skepticism or, or atheist podcast could ever do to the witness of God in the world. And so, it's, it was true in the first century, and it's true now to unify the church. And the third thing that Paul wants to do is he wants to prove God's righteousness. He wants to prove that God is right. And, and the reason that this is so significant is that if, if there is a God, and if that God has the authority to judge you and me for our behavior, we better trust that He has consistent behavior. Because what good is a judge who is not himself righteous? Do you think, in our, in our magistrates' courts or whatever, would you give any credibility to a magistrate who drove to the courthouse drunk? Would you? No, of course not. Would you give any credibility to a judge who murdered someone on his way to 
No. Judges, those that are speaking out and making judgments over other people's behavior, need to have a level of credibility about him. And if he's going to be the judge of the universe, then he's got to have perfect credibility. And Paul goes to extraordinary lengths to argue that God is consistent. The God is the same. The God can be trusted, and that God is the same God that we read about in the Old Testament, ancient world, as He is the God of the New Testament. And if you've ever had the question of whether, of how it is that, that we can read about sort of killing and murder and, and conquest and all that sort of stuff, and how does that God marry up with Jesus? Read Romans, and you will find out exactly how it all fits together, that God is the same, and that God is faithful to His promises. Because Jesus was a surprise to the Jewish nation. He didn't, it wasn't what they were expecting at all. And He kind of looks like He's letting people off the hook. Just love, it'll be great. Everything's awesome. When you delve in a little bit more, you realize that exactly what Jesus is saying, and He demonstrates it in extraordinary detail. From beginning to end, God is the same. And so that is the purpose. That is what we're going to discover throughout this series. And I've titled it, The Power of Grace. The Power of Grace. And the reason I've done that is because I, it feels a little bit like an oxymoron in our culture. Because power rarely extends grace. Because rarely do people with power look outside of themselves and figure out what other people need. But quite simply, what we are called to discover is that rather than ultimate power corrupting ultimately, that there is one who held and continues to hold ultimate power, and He doesn't hold it for His sake, He holds it for yours. The power of grace. And so, that's what I wanted you to hear this morning. Actually, not really anything more than that. That's kind of where God took my heart was that we would just understand and grow in the value of this. And as we journey through it, I want you to read it with me. I want you to read it before me, and I want you to read it after me to check that I didn't make it up. Because I believe, like some of the giants of our faith, that this can, this series can change you to help you be more loving, to help you be more gracious, to help you be more giving. And if you, so if you're a follower of Jesus, there's one little section that I want to point you to. Start of verse 16. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everybody. 
I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I believe the calling of the Christian church in this era is to not be ashamed of the good news, is to not be ashamed of what we have been given to share with the world, that we have good news infinitely better than the heralds of the Roman Empire got to declare. Yet they did it with a whole lot more passion than you or I seem to do most of the time. And so for us, as followers of Jesus, if nothing else, what I'd love you to hear this morning is that we have good news in our hearts. We have good news that we're called to share. And we don't need to be ashamed of it. We don't need to be ashamed of it. Because it has, it's, it's the power of God. We don't need to be able to fully explain all of it. We just point people to God, point people to what Jesus has done and help them to discover it. And so over this next little while, I'm actually going to challenge you to invite someone to church. <gasps> what? What if they say, no, Josh, I'll be embarrassed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Invite someone to church. Invite them to hear a little bit more. If you're not comfortable sharing the gospel for yourself, invite them here and I'll have a crack. <laughs> or someone, one of other, our other gifted communicators will have a go at it. But I do believe that the power of the gospel ultimately comes, not in the words necessarily that you share, although you should say something of what you believe. The power of the gospel is the way that you love people in the world. The way that you love them. And one of the most loving things you can ever do is to share the hope that you have of a God that used His power to save you. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as they do that, I just want to invite you really simply, just to consider, where does this land for you? If you're not a follower of Jesus, this might be all new. And you're going, Josh, I don't know if you can back up all the claims that you've made about what this is going to do for my life. And so I'm going to invite you to come back next week and find out. Join us online if you're not going to be sticking around with us. If you're from a different community or you're joining us online, stick around check in with us online and see what happens. But I do believe that the gospel has the power to change your life. And if you've never discovered that for yourself before, the invitation is there to experience this God of love for yourself this morning or to, to go home and think about it this week and realize that there is someone out there with more power than you will ever know and more love than you will ever know for you. Let's pray together. Loving God, I thank you for this good news. 
Thank you for this letter that was preserved for thousands of years that we might discover something extraordinary of what you're doing in the world and why it matters so much. What you had planned. And despite everything that the enemy and that our selfishness could throw at you, you did it anyway for our sake. It's good news. It's the best news. And Lord, if we're honest, sometimes we forget that. We lose sight of the gift and start wondering again if you love us. Lord, may this moment be a reminder of the love that you have for us. That regardless of what last week looked like or last year or the last 20 years, that the invitation is there new and fresh today to trust you with our life. Knowing you promised something more wonderful than we could find anywhere else. And Lord, may we receive that challenge to not be ashamed. Would you give us the courage to know how to live this out unashamed? how to share your truth unashamed. And just maybe discover that those people that we've loved and continue to love that don't know you might just discover the greatest news the world has ever known. So loving God, we pray you give us the wisdom to know what to do with this and the courage to live it out. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.